You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. I don't know, Cam, but I, I'm, I'm kind of weirded out by this aspect of you. It must be because I haven't left my house in a week and a half. I don't know. Uh, we're, we're all going to warn everybody in your family about the fact that you changed. <laughs> Welcome to the Legendarium. This is our first episode on book three of the Expanse, Abandon's Gate. Uh, before we Abandon's do Gate. anything else, Abandon's Gate. Uh, Abandon's Gate. Abandon's, Abandon's Gate. Gate. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, but it's it's probably going to come out weird no matter what I say. <laughs> That's today. not how I've been pronouncing it either. So, <laughs> uh, just so you're aware, we have there is every possibility that this episode may wind up having some real challenges with it. Uh, the three of us, four of us, we've got Craig with us as well, uh, are all in various locations around the Davis County area, uh, calling in via software and trying to record this thing from our quarantine, self-imposed quarantine locations. Uh, no, none of us have COVID-19, but we just want to make sure that none of us gives anybody else what we might or might not have. So, uh, we're, we're experimenting today, and hopefully this experiment goes smoothly. Uh, we do have, as part of our team that have been working through the Expanse, we've got the regular players. We've got Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. See, she still sounds like herself, even. Uh, and we got Ken. And and Chewy and Taser. They're back there. You can hear them once in a while. <laughs> well, hopefully we don't necessarily hear any of their comments about this process as we're going through it. Uh, we are, and, and as we said, this is book three of the expanse that we're going to be covering today. The first half of book three, we're actually going up through, uh, chapter 25. So a little less than, a uh, little less than half of the book. Um, so for those of you that are right. keeping track and you, you thought that we were going to talk about a couple of extra chapters, well, eh, sit back. We'll, we'll cover those a little bit later. Uh, Stephanie, I, my biggest curiosity at this point in time, because every time we started <laughs> one of these books, you said, <laughs> almost almost without fail. Oh, this is just so hard. What did you think of this one? I but, am we, thoroughly enjoying this. Do you, do you this want to book. recap first? Or? Oh yeah, maybe we should do are, do you have a recap? You haven't had one for us the last couple of times. I, I I've repented of my ways and I built a recap for this one. Wow. So wow. The, the people expect it and I want to give the people what they want. So well I, I need to figure out how to be those people because I never get what I want from you. Um, <laughs> all right, Ken, uh, give us give us your recap of what we've read so far. All right, here you go. A year has passed and the strange alien, since the strange alien Miller Julie bot rose from the surface of Venus and made their way for the other side of the solar system and we lost a bunch of characters that we got used to and we'll probably never see again. Life has been good in the past year for the crew of the Rosinante since they went freelance, found a little girl and started their own escort service. The, the principle's the same, It just go with it. But now everything seems to be pushing the Rosi out to the edge of the solar system with a bunch of characters we don't care about on the wagon train to the stars points where you thought if you can get that reference. <laughs> yes, I do get that reference. Yes. 
religionist scientists, a vengeance-seeking, all uh, a vengeance-seeker, all riding a UN Martian Belter cavalcade with all the common questions: What is the ring? More importantly, how can we benefit from it? Spoiler alert: It's actually an Einstein-Rosen bridge gateway to destruction. It's right there in the name, people. Gateway to destruction. It's, look it up. Know your <laughs> Now the Martians want their ship back, and the only way to keep it is to run escort to the Outer Rim for a film crew at the behest of some dark, shadowy organization. Naturally, it's all a setup by the mentally unstable bionic daughter of Jules Pierre Mao, who hopes to clear her disgraced family name and frame one Jim Holden at the same time, who she blames for destroying her life of high comfort. Fortunately, there's some European Methodist preacher on board to talk her down or something. I'm sure she has some reason for being there. We'll find out. Meanwhile, the OPA has turned the giant ship they stole from the Mormons into a gigantic warship, which definitely is way too big to be effective for anything other than a ship to fly leisurely across the galaxy. For the record, I wrote this whole thing down before we actually were proven right that it is way too big <laughs> to be effective. And all these plans converge to do the one thing we hoped would happen all along, get our favorite crew through that gateway and onto the proto-people's side of the galaxy. So now that they're there, what do they do with it? What happened to Julie, and uh, who sent the solar system unity band to the ring? Does Holden become the emissary to the proto-people or something? I don't know. There's your recap. Easy as a monkey microwave in <laughs> the burrito, I say. Oh, I'm glad you threw in the monkey thing. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely going to come back and haunt us a little bit. Hey, thank right. you so much for the Star Trek reference on Wagon Train to the Stars. I, I, am, I, I really did. Throw. I really did. There's probably going to be three or four people out there that aren't going to be impressed and are not going to be thrilled with it, but I'm, I, I appreciate it, Ken. That's that's really good. Showing your age. And then the rest hey. of us are just indifferent on the matter. So, <laughs> Right. Well, like, whatever. Stop talking now. Since he stole your thunder, Stephanie, why don't you tell us? <laughs> Getting into this book, was this one any easier than the other ones that we've done up to this point in time? This one is significantly easier to get into. I, I'm really enjoying this book. Um, I don't know if I should be surprised that I'm really enjoying this book. And I think it's kind of funny listening, like reading up on what our listeners feel about my opinions on the starts of these books and what a big <laughs> deal it kind of is. But this one, I don't know. I've talked to Ryan several times about this, about I have no idea what it is that's different about this book, but this one is easier to follow. The characters are easier to get to know. Um, I don't know if it's because they're sharing less information or more information. I really don't have a good reason as to why I feel this book is easier to get into than the past two have been, but it is, it has been for me at least. I've picked up and enjoyed the characters a lot earlier than I have the new characters. I've always liked Holden, but it's been easier to catch on to the new points of view in this book than the previous books have. Okay, very cool. Ken, how about you? So it's funny that you say that, Stephanie, because I feel like I had an easier time getting into the characters in the last two books than I have this one. Well, you're uh, wrong, so I it's okay. Usually, I usually <laughs> am when I come to talking. <laughs> Stephanie, we are going to take you with us wherever we go. Kate told me I was right, so I'm going to I'm going to hold my hat. I'm going to put my hat on that. I just I I want to. I like Bull. Bull's interesting, and and I think. Uh, most of our listeners said that that I would think he was, and and I do. I like Bull a lot. Um, I'm still. I, I know Anna's got a purpose for being there. I'm still trying to figure out what it is. And yeah, you sound like, kind of you. You pretty much dismiss her as a non-relevant character. I I just don't see the point of her yet. Uh, and, 
I and love I will. Anna. I will. I'm sure I will. But I right at the moment, it, it's taking. It's funny that that we've kind of crossed paths or or uh, switched places because I just I find myself not caring about these characters very much. Most of the characters that I care about are people who have come over from the other books, like uh, like Samara, the the chief engineer on the Behemoth. She's been in the first two books. I love her. She's great. Um, the characters that that we've seen on the Rosinante, obviously, I love them. Uh, Bull's second in command, his uh, Surge, the guy that that follows him. I these are all good characters to me, but most of them I'm just like I I don't care about you yet, and I will. I, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but so far I'm like uh, okay, whatever. So so you weren't immediately taken with Melba, huh? I was not, and I'm still not. I see, and I I gotta be honest. I thought she would have been one that you would have said. You know what? Yeah. Artificial glands installed into the body so that you can turn into a, a into a walking, talking death machine. I'm all aboard. That is kind of interesting. It apparently, has also fractured her mind because she seems to be talking to herself. Or when she when she activates the uh, action glands, yeah, I'm gonna. Call oh, the woman action is downright crazy. So yeah. <laughs> when she when she uh, when she activates the action glands, it seems like it just fractures her mind and she becomes a different person. Well, I'm not sure her mind wasn't fractured from before. Maybe. I don't know. It, 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 I, I get where she's coming from. I get Melba's perspective, and I get her, her reason for being in this story, but she all just seems kind of petty to me still. Like, I, I understand you have a reason to want, you know, revenge against this guy who brought down your entire empire and your life of comfort, but at the same time, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not invested in her men, or, uh, emotionally yet. I think the interest. Go ahead, Stephanie. This is getting harder because I can't actually see anyone's reactions as quickly. So we're interrupting each other a lot more. But I think the interesting thing about Melba and her character is this is the first time I feel we really have a point of view from an antagonist point of view in this story. Like the actual bad guy. Like you know that she's there and she's there to to get revenge for her family against Holden and everything that he took from her in her mind. But in the past two books, we really haven't gotten a point of view from anyone against what's going on. Yeah. Right. Like everyone has kind of been working towards the same goals. You're just getting points of view from how everyone's achieving those goals. So I think it's kind of been a nice change to have a point of view of someone that's a little bit more, a bad guy, I guess. If yeah. you could see me, I'm nodding my head, but you can't I, see because my camera see. <laughs> One of the things that I've one of the things that I found very interesting about getting a, a glimpse inside Caroline is it Caroline Mel Melba, whatever her name was, Clarissa. Clarissa, Clarissa thank you, yeah. thank you. Should have written that one down. Um, ah. I, I find it I find it very interesting that we are getting an opportunity to view. Everything from her perspective, which is all of the same information twisted about 90 degrees. There yeah. is no milk of human kindness that flows through her veins. She seems like the ramifications of what her of what her father had done do not even begin to impact her from a standpoint of he almost destroyed the solar system in several different ways. It's not his fault. It's all Holden's fault. And right. I find that just a really interesting kind of a, a, a it's very selfish. I, but I think it's very human 
that we have a tendency to see things in terms of how it impacts us, how it impacts our world and everybody else in the universe. You're on your own. If it hurts me, I'm going to be ticked off and I'm going to fix it. I want to. Did you feel the same? I want to piggyback on something that Stephanie brought up that, that this is, she's basically our first genuine antagonist. And at the same time, she's, she's not some stereotypical mustache twirling, you know, black hat. She, she is an antagonist that is relatable. Uh, software malfunction, the audio cut here. So, Welcome to the inner layer of the secret society of Stephanie. It's time for an uninterrupted reason as to why Anna is my favorite of this book. So I'm, I really love Anna's simplicity. She has simple motivations that she just loves her family and she loves God. And I think these motivations add to the complexity of her as a character. Um, a lot of the times when I was reading her chapters, I found my ass, myself... I found myself asking, why would the authors include a character that seems so powerless in the grand scheme of the whole plot of the book? Um, This kind of added an air of mystery for me as I was reading about Anna. I wanted to know, going, okay, she has no real drive. She can't really change anything. She's just a simple pastor from this, with this small congregation what it is about her that the authors felt that her point of view was important enough to share with me as a reader. So every time I got to her chapters, I was hoping to find an answer. I don't think we've really gotten one yet um, at this halfway point of the book, but I'm excited to continue reading her point of view and why what she can do to make a difference um, as they're heading towards the ring and the protomolecule and everything that they're finding there. Um, one of my favorite scenes that um, from Anna's point of view is when she's talking to Tilly in chapter 12. So honestly, I'm not the most devout Christian, but I do have faith and I don't really struggle with the idea of believing in God and that he has a hand in my life. Um, I have really simple faith, I guess, that I know can frustrate other people, but that's just something that I don't struggle with. I don't struggle with the concept of faith and believing in a higher power. So I love the questions that Anna asks about the protomolecule in this conversation. And she's asking about, is it alive? Is it a tool for a more advanced creature? Do they have a sense of divine and faith? And she brings up the concept of grace and how these aliens could really complicate her understanding of what she feels grace is in her life. And I know so often um, when we are thinking about this, she's asking, do these creatures have a soul? And a lot of time during war times, we think of good guys and bad guys. The good guys are the ones that need to win and they need to defeat the bad guys at any cost. Well, often we don't really think about the bad guys as having friends, family, hopes, beliefs, dreams of their own, because in the long run, if we think of them too much as humans, we can't do what we need to do to defeat these bad guys. And I think she kind of gives the possibility of the protomolecule being more than just a weapon of of bad guys, or that 
these are a creature in of themselves that are the bad guys. Um, I really hope as she goes on um, through her storyline that she has the ability to answer some of these questions as to whether the protomolecule is a real being. Does, I mean, who knows whether she'll get around to actually finding out if they have a soul and whether they have a belief system. I don't really think that's important to this whole, this story that the authors are telling right now. But it's interesting and gives me something to think about and something I would love to talk more about if any of our listeners want to talk more about it. But I think as Anna, as a character, she's in the perfect position to get some of these questions answered. I think coming from the fact that she doesn't have stronger motivations in the grand scheme of the war and the battle in the ring, that her beliefs are just, I believe in God and I want to know how these, this situation we've found our humankind in fits in with those beliefs. Um, I think that she really can find honest answers to her questions coming from the simple background that she does. There are so many things about Anna that I think just play into why she's my favorite. I think the simplicity of her is really probably the biggest reason why I like her so much. Um, Her simple faith, I can relate to that which I think a lot of people might struggle with. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else. I think that I'm excited to find out why she's there. I know Ken talks about that she doesn't seem important, and I can see his point. I think it's a valid point, and I could see why other people struggle with that idea because she doesn't seem to be doing much. I mean, Holden's obviously in the middle of this whole storyline. Bull is, should be, the captain of the behemoth and isn't but has these grand ideas of how to to run the battle scenario and I'm excited to see someone simple like how I would fit into all of this I don't have a a grand life I don't have a lot of power when it comes to the running of a country or a planet or anything like that but I love the idea of someone simple having a big impact on humanity. And I think that kind of gives me hope that in my little life, doing the things that I love doing might have that same kind of bigger impact on humanity. We may have, we may have lost part of our recording. As we mentioned before, we are working with new software and from a distance. So if we were talking about something in the middle of everything and then all of a sudden it stopped, we, uh, we, we're, we're not sure what we lost. We'll, we'll continue where we're at. And if you've got questions that it sounded like we were going to talk about and we missed them, let us know on Reddit. We'll, we'll rehash what we missed. This is, this is our life now. It just is. (laughs) We'll we'll call this hashtag COVID recording life or something. Something. I I, I tell you what, but, um, we were talking so, about Anna. You, you like bull. Why do you like what? I mean, we we kind of have some ideas about why you like bull, but can you articulate <laughs> them? Can you use words today? I. But did, didn't you hear all those great words that conveniently got disappeared in the uh, in the ether? <laughs> all those all those wonderful things I said. No, I uh, I, I do like bull because he's 
I don't know. He's relatable to me because he's a simple guy. He's a he's a guy who's he's you know been been up. He's gone through life. He's had life kind of beat him back, and he's had to pick himself back up and kind of reinvent himself from what he thought his life would be. And and he's he has no illusions of being better than he is at anything, you know. And and I love I love that fact. But at the same time, he's still he still has a very level head about what is. And and so, he, and you can see the frustration he gets when the superior officers don't listen to him and when he clearly knows what's best, but they, but they won't listen. So he gets those, I told you so moments, you know, and I don't know. That's the simplest reasons why I like bull. I guess I just relate. And my life has been nowhere near as, as hard as bulls has been. Don't don't get me wrong when I say that, but everybody kind of has that moment where life you think is going to go one way and then it doesn't. It goes a completely different way and you have to reinvent yourself on the fly. You know, are you saying that you're just looking forward to the moment that you can always say, I told you so to each and every one of us? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Say again. I, I said, Stephanie, what did you think? Of Bull? Oh, I was like, I didn't hear that. Um, I liked Bull. I think it's he's an interesting character for me because um, from his conversation with um, Fred Johnson from the very kind of beginning when we get introduced to him, we know that he's the man that is right for the job. He's the one that's going to know the right thing to do because he's been around. But because he's an Arthur, he can't have the job. But he has to still make sure that everything goes smoothly and he's not even put in charge. And now he has to figure out. Okay, how do I get these people that are in charge to do what I want them to do? Because I do know better. Like, so there's been a lot of, I think it's been fun to read his chapters to see how he manages that. Like after he spaces the drug dealer. Doesn't, oh, yeah. love that scene, doesn't talk love to it. anyone about it. Just kind of picks him up, sticks him in the airlock and opens the door and said, there you go. This is how we're handling things. And then he has to then go back and ask for forgiveness instead of permission because he knows that that's what was best for the crew. That was what's best for them to continue on and to fix the problem without getting all political about it. And I think that's the thing that I like most about him is that he doesn't deal with the politics as much. Yeah. Cause he just that knows what's be, best. Yeah. That might be my favorite thing about him too. It, he hates the gamesmanship. He just, he wants to do what's right. And, but he accepts the gamesmanship too, in the sense, like you said, that he is the right person for the job, but he can't have that job. Um, you know, for me, it, it feels like, it feels like he knows how to play the game and he's willing to play the game, but he doesn't enjoy playing the game. Yeah. I could, I can behind that. I can buy I that. One. Yeah. Um, one of the scenes that I really liked that, that kind of illustrated that, is the one where they're it's right after they're on the right after they go through the ring and the earthship and the Mars ship have sent skiffs out to get Holden. And Ashford says, how long will it take you to get a skiff of our people ready? And he said, <laughs> so great. Not going to happen. How long is it going to take us to go all the way back to Tycho? Not and doing he, it. And, yeah. and he says, I will not put these people in this situation. They'll all die. If you want to make them go, we'll go. But it's your it's your choice. Yeah, you got a really well written scene, and and the the insights that they give of the different people that are that are listening in, where they say, "Oh, he's very aware. It's going to have to be the captain makes this call, and everybody's going to know that Bull tried to talk him out of it." Some really well, some really well written pieces for that. I think Bull. it also. 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Bull has a uh, a luxury of sorts uh, of, that he's learned from hard knocks, and that's the sense that he he's at the point where he gives exactly zero Fs about anything. Uh, and he, he doesn't care about appeasing his, his superior officers. He doesn't care about being the nice guy. He cares about doing what needs to be done, doing his job, doing it well, and making sure that, that people get a fair shake. And it's a luxury when you in life, when you get to a point like that, where you can just do what you think is right and you don't care yeah. what people think about it. That is, that is a luxury uh, of a spot to get to in life. And it yeah. takes people longer than others. I, why am I so philosophical today? I don't know, Kim, but I, I'm, I'm kind of must weirded be the, out by this aspect of you. It must be because I haven't left my house in a week and a half. I don't know. Uh, we're, we're all going to warn everybody in your family about the fact that you've changed. <laughs> so Sorry, we've, we've talked Stephanie, a little bit about our, or about, our, about our new characters. Have you seen anything in your in the existing characters that you thought was was worthy of attention or that really caught your attention? You went, oh, wow, that's nice. For instance, let me give you the one while you're thinking. Uh, sorry, Stephanie, I, I yeah, jumped on top fine. of you. I hope that's okay. We'll give okay. Ken another second or so to arrange some more words. The one that I was I just thinking wanted to of. I give Stephanie a first chance. I, I was deferring <laughs> to her this time. The one that I was thinking of for me was when they find out that they've been betrayed on the Rosinante. And at first, Amos is just really mad. Comes up the comes up the ladder and swinging the wrench and he's ready to beat the crap out of somebody. And then the blind guy says, oh, it was my fault. This is what I did. And and they have the moment where <laughs> Amos uses more explicatives again. And Holden says he said it without the anger. And Holden knew that Amos was much more frightening when he was calm than he was when he was mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I know people like that. Um, I know people that when they smile, that's the time that you really want to get out of their way. Uh, and as I'm, as I'm listening to that, as I'm, as I'm seeing that, I'm, I'm watching this unfold and I'm thinking to myself, I know exactly who those kind of people are. But it also it, it also made me very aware that these these other characters, we may not be getting as much time with them from some character development in this book so far, but we've had enough that those kinds of moments that are inserted – help flesh out those characters quite nicely and the relationships that they've got. At least it did for me. I, I don't know if it did for you guys. Stephanie, what do you think? Uh, I, so I don't think there's a whole lot of change in the dynamic of the crew on the Rossi right now. And I don't think they have a huge story arc other than you just get their point of view what's happening. I think the biggest thing for me was we have this documentary crew heading out to the ring that Holden's been hired to take them out and how closed off the rest of the crew get. Because really when I thought more about it is we don't really know anything about these crew members and what their pasts are. And they even talk of Holden comments about that where you don't end up on a ship like the- The, the Canterbury. Like the Canterbury. Yeah, with, without having some sort of reason for being at the yeah. bottom of the, the well and he's right. saying, well, like Naomi is the best engineer he's ever seen. What what has she done that led her to this point? All of these people on the, the Rossi are really top of their game. So what has happened to them yeah. to lead them to this point in their lives? And I'm excited to continue reading the stories and hopefully getting more backstory because 
really by book three, you would have thought we would have had more. And we do on Holden, but... We do on Holden, and we have a little bit on Amos. It's, it keeps popping up just a little bit. We know he's from Baltimore. We know he was the child of prostitution. And we know that he escaped a hellish kind of upbringing. Um, yes. and, he's, and he's very defensive about anybody who might even be remotely interested or, or seem remotely interested in harming a child. He is very protective about that. And not just that, but you know, it's, it's made him kind of cold, but cold on the outside, warm on the inside. I, is that a, <laughs> I don't know. He's like, uh, he's like a temperature Oreo. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't sure, even know what that, that means. I know. No, I you know. know that's got to go. That's got to go in the outtakes for the year. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone, Ken. Not my. It's not we've my best quote. Little, but, you know. <laughs> we've been talking for a little while about the characters. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the scenes that we've had as we move through this. What are some of the moments in this first half of the book that have really jumped out to you guys as saying this this was artfully done, or this is something that I'm really glad is being explored. Or I just enjoyed reading this. What, what were some scenes that stood out to you? I thought that um, Anna brought it up in the scene with uh, with the VIP meet and greet, uh, where they're talking about what what is the ring? What does the ring signify? Why are we on our way out there? And, and she talks about she brings up the question about the ring symbolizing. Uh, Oh, I, I can't remember. Somebody brought up the ring is temptation and to sin. Um, and they, they throw out a whole bunch of, I'm, I'm not looking it up right this second. I, so it's kind of stumbling off my head, but they, they come up with a whole bunch of philosophical things that the ring could represent, but it, it all um, kind of symbolizes a fundamental implied question in all of science fiction and fantasy. And that's, that's how uh, you reconcile heaven as maybe a, a Judeo-Christian heaven with uh, with science fiction altogether, where you have these these hundreds of worlds or thousands of worlds, and you have these superpowers and and such, and and how that all jives, how, how the fantasy and the science fiction jives with a real world understanding of you know or faith based understanding of of the hereafter and stuff. And I think that's a nice theme throughout the entire book of what does this basically what does this mean for for heaven, for religion, for philosophy, uh, that we're not alone in the universe, you know. And maybe that's exactly why Anna is the character that she is and why she's on this experience so that you can run through that kind of a, of a conversation because no one else appears to have any kind of religious backing that we've seen throughout all of the books that we've been reading so far. No, and even the religious people here just want to, they want to know what the ring can do for them. How can they monetize it? How can they use it for more influence and more power? She's the only one that actually seems to be interested in what this means uh, on a bigger scale, on a level three scale. Okay, I'll buy that. And I'll probably come back to that. Stephanie, how about you? What Any any scenes that jumped out to you? Um, I, so I was kind of looking through, I actually have notes for this recording which is shocking because i never take wow i know stephanie i, two, and I really are backwards two this little pages <laughs> <laughs> well but, that's two pages more than ken 
One thing that I thought was interesting, and I just I had a couple really of lines. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. <laughs> enjoyed the description is when um, it's in one of the bull chapters and they finally get to the ring. And that's when we actually get a really detailed description of what the ring looks like. Because I start thinking of the ring and all I can think of is the horror movie that gave me nightmares for years <laughs> upon years as right. a teenager, young adult. I don't know how old I was when that came out. So I'm sitting here, so I'm like thinking the cover of this movie where it's just this creepy looking ring. And so they finally kind of give you a description and I'm trying to find it in my book. And I can't, of course, now that I want it. I, I tried, by the way, I tried to figure out a way to uh, squeeze one ring to rule them all in my recap. And I, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't come up with a good way to do it. So, hey, let's be honest. It's not a ring to rule them all. It's a sphere to rule them all. It, we'll really, it's, it's a it's a ring to destroy them all, apparently. So we, Maybe so we haven't even we haven't touched on life behind the ring or beyond the ring yet. So, yeah, we'll get there. But we're just okay, stalling until it. Stephanie finds her. No, oh, there it is. Yeah. I found it. Okay. Since the structure itself was eerie, the surface was a series of twisted ridges that spiraled around its body. At first, they appeared uneven, almost messy. The mathematicians, architects, and physicists assured them that there was that all that there was a deep regularity there. The height of the ridges in a complex harmony with the width and spacing between the peaks and the valleys. It, it's just the wording that they used to describe this ring. I still can't get a really decent picture of it in my head. I just think it was, for me, it was kind of just this lyrical way of describing something. Sure. That I yeah. appreciated the the visual of what it could be. Because so much of this, I mean, we talk about when you go through science, how much everything in the world looks chaotic. But when you get down to it, there is so much symmetry in the world and so much math mathematical equations in like a sunflower and it's just weird things that appear in nature and i feel like this kind of fit into that concept of what we understand in our own world that even though it appears chaotic it actually does have a symmetry to it even if you can't see it sure when i was thinking when i was when i was reading that portion i was thinking about mandelbrot designs uh, and some of the I, I, are you guys familiar with those mm -hmm. There's a there's a, a mathematician that came up with a, a series of equations that when you when you work with them if you graph them as we can graph designs they they create things that are almost identical but that branch and twist and becomes become more unique as you dive deeper into the way that the dia diagrams work. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm not explaining it very well. I'm sure somebody on Reddit understands that much better and might, might even be able to share some links to some of the websites that do Mandelbrot designs and that give you an opportunity to see them. They're very beautiful. They're based on mathematics. And when you look at them, the first time that I looked at them, at least, I was impressed by the symmetry and the uniqueness that showed up at exactly this, that, that were showing up at exactly the same time. So I, I have in my mind that as they were describing the ring, that it looks something like that. What about the, uh, what about the scene with where, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump way forward and then we'll, we'll come back a little bit. What about the scene with Miller where he's describing how Holden is the only one that is able to see Miller? 
Did you guys? Corey's talking talking about the complexities of the brain, and as he's not actually alive. Yes. That the way that the proto molecule can speak to him or whatever, he can't deal with the complexities of his mind if someone else is in the room. Yes. Yeah. That's, makes it, me just it, think that he you're insane is really what that comes down to. <laughs> it's your it, it own brain kind of, making this up is what it all kind of broke my brain a little bit but so i i think both of you know that i have a psych background and yep. not not because i'm insane maybe i am but i <laughs> that that psych background one of the one of the things that i have tried to articulate i had i had a friend that I was, we were working together and and he was teaching one class and I was teaching a different class. And he looked at me one day, we were talking about how difficult it was to help our students learn. And he looked at me and he said, it's not rocket science. And I looked at him and I said, I I wish it were. Rocket science is four variables, lift, thrust, drag, and gravity. That's all it is. And if you can master those four variables, you can predict with almost certainty, what's going on. I said, but when you're dealing with people and you deal with all of the things that are going on inside the brain, all of the connections that are being made, what they had for breakfast that morning, whether or not they had an argument with their spouse, whether or not you remind them of somebody that they disliked immensely when they were a child, whether or not you remind them of somebody that they liked immensely when they were younger or when they were going through school or any of these other kinds of things. The fact that they're hungry at that moment in class, the fact that they really already have an attitude about the materials that you're talking about, the fact that they really would rather, all of these pieces that are firing in their their synapses at the same time and how hard it is for a human being to shut off all of the other noise long enough to focus on one piece of information. I said, oh man, I wish that teaching were as simple as rocket science. And he looked at me and he goes, wow, you, you really, you really think about this, don't you? This is where I hang out. And listening to, listening to the, at, at, for me, it's listening because I was listening to the book, listening to Miller's character, listening to the description of what it means when the when you look at the structure of the brain and the interconnectedness of all of the synaptic gateways and and the way that one thing leads to another in a in a nonstop cascade that can be so difficult to master i said to myself this is a place where they've really done their homework on neurology and on psychology and and for me it was a wonderful moment i'm going to use this whenever i teach psychology and people say why is it so hard man why is it so hard I'm going to use this moment. I'm going to say, here you go. There you go. Take play with it. So anyway, I obviously I got a little excited about that. Um, I knew, I knew you'd like it. I like the, <laughs> I like the but then I contrast stuff. that one with the scene where he's saying, but may, but maybe all we are at, when we look at the ring is monkeys with a microwave. Did you get a kick out of yeah. that scene? And the, the fact that, that um, the fact that Miller was able to parrot it back to him was the proof that, okay, so um, Miller's in his head. It's not like a <laughs> manifestation. It's clearly it's in his brain. So. Yeah. 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 When, when he, when he says, so, so you do this, the, the you, you open the door the microwave as a place to store something, you turn it on and it makes it something burn. Okay. Now it's a weapon. You, you push the button, the light comes on. So it's a light source. It says maybe yeah. all we are doing is maybe all we are is monkeys with a microwave. How many times in history could humankind be said to be at about the level of monkeys messing with a microwave? Uh, I, oh, I, yeah. can, I, 
I can think of the times that we that that we have done incredibly unspeakable things to each other in history and and how that how that must look if you were looking at it from the outside. For for me, that was a really powerful it, it was a powerful level uh, level three moment, but it was also a pretty powerful level two moment that caused me to stop and think with all of the things that are going on around us. How often are we really stopping to look at it and say, now, are we evaluating what these decisions really are going on? Are we approaching this from a standpoint of being able to understand what we're dealing with? Perhaps to some extent with, with what's going on with, with some of the upheaval because of the viral situation, the COVID-19 situation going on, and the discussion about interventions that are available and how long is it going to take to come up with a, with a vaccine or with any kind of treatment, all of these different kinds of things. Social distancing, yes, we should. No, we shouldn't. Restart the economy. Make sure that we give it some more money. All of these different kinds of things. There are so many variables that yeah. we do not understand. We know a little piece of it, so we treat it in one way. And then we get all the rest of the consequences. It, I, it led me I back to. Go ahead, Ken. It, it led me back to a, a common thing, a common thought in in a lot of these books is that we've expressed, and that is just kind of common out there, and and that's the the fact that uh, science is magic until we understand it. You know what I mean? I have a quote. That, oh my goodness! About this, and it's one of my favorites. <laughs> But that, um, while Stephanie's pulling up, uh, I was go just going to say that, it, it, well, it's, it's, uh, this is what we're kind of experiencing, well, in real life, which isn't where I was going, but, but Todd, you brought it up and, and that's kind of the same thing. Everything is scary right now in life uh, until we get a handle on it, until we understand it, and then it's not so scary anymore. Same thing in the book. We're in the other side of the galaxy now with the proto-molecule, and it's scary and weird, and it's it's goop, and it controls people. We don't know what it is, and we don't understand any of this uh, until it's explained to us, and then we'll understand it, and it won't be so scary anymore. It's the same thing. It's, uh, you know, magic Magic is just science that we don't understand type thing. So Stephanie, what's Stephanie, your quote? So this is from Anna. And I loved this idea of what she was saying. This was after her long prayer meeting that she sat through and was kind of starting to question why she was sitting through this long prayer meeting. But it says, <laughs> science has given mankind many gifts and she valued it. But the one important thing that it had taken away was the value of subjective personal experience. That had been replaced with the idea that only measurable and testable concepts had value. And I think that kind of plays into oh, this idea that that in her mind, as as a religious leader, that there's so much more to experience on a on an individual level that it's not necessarily just that I'm going to come out here and see why can what can science do to explain this phenomenon, whether it's alien race or whatever, but giving back to the fact that they are still humans, whether they're Earthers or Martians or Belters, deep down there, they are all still humans with their with the same insecurities and the same experiences that we all we all go through life differently. We've all gone through whether they're living out on the belt and they're dealing with wanting to create their own kind of government, I guess, or whether they're from Earth and they think that they're high and mighty because they're from Earth and I love, I just loved this quote and the idea that no matter what science has to say, that it's still our personal experiences of how we handle and deal with whatever we're 
we're thrown into that really makes a difference, I guess. Well said. Well I like said. it. Yeah. What did you think of there? There's two things that I, two questions that I want to get to. One of them is going to be the experience getting inside the sphere. So we're going to get there in just a second. But I want to ask one other question. What did you think of Bull's reflection when they make it through the they make it through the ring and Holden sends out the or maybe it's right before they make it through the ring. But uh, as they're as they're as they're starting to close in on the Rosinante, all of these different people are sending out messages. If actually it was after they get into the ring and, and uh, they send out and say, we didn't blow up the, we, we, you know, we're not responsible. We're not terrorists. This is, this is just what we're, you know, we're, we're victims in this situation as well. And then all of a sudden, all of these other messages start coming out and bull makes the reflection. Yep. Sure enough. We're going to meet extraterrestrial life and we're going to be arguing with each other. Right. <laughs> up until the very last second. Did you get a kick out of that? It sounds like you both did. Actually, I, I did very much because it, it's one of those things that I that I uh, find frustrating about people in large groups <laughs> is, is that yeah. it, it's very easy to lose sight of what is important, but what the big picture is. So uh, a lot of Bull's frustrations really resonated with me. So uh, I can't without going back and looking it up, I can't remember who said that they thought Bull would be my favorite character, but he really of the new characters, he really was. I think it was about four people that said that, Ken. It probably was. I'm, or maybe I'm, I'm fairly predictable that way. Maybe everyone who read the book before us. <laughs> Stephanie, what did, you, what did you think about that moment? I think the nice thing about it just it's it sums up perfectly for me humanity, and that's exactly what we would be doing. That's what we're doing now. We're going through a worldwide crisis, and what are we doing? We're arguing about it. Yeah, because that's just the human thing to do, I guess, yep. is instead of calming down and talking through it as because individually, I'm sure everyone would be fine and we could all sit down and talk about it. It's when you get on a big scale, that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm right. You're wrong. My way, your way. Like it just it sums up. And of course, when this was all written, no one knew we were going into the situation we're currently in. But this yeah. isn't new. I mean, it's not like no. we haven't been through a world problem before or even a nation, a national problem like where it is. It's going to be this side arguing, this side arguing. And it just made me laugh because it it just fits like this is what we're going to do. This is how it we is would from, react. It's it like Tommy Lee. Very illustrative. Of, Hundreds of years down the, the road, we are yeah. still just going to argue. It, it's let, like Tommy Lee Jones said. Let's hope we learn. Maybe this book will help us all learn. <laughs> Maybe we should stop arguing in the face of extraterrestrial intelligence. Maybe we should unify as beings and start. Craig, and this is one of the things that's Craig, really. Craig thinks you're right. Craig feels like it. It's yeah. going to happen. This is one of the things that I think is really fascinating. And again, it illustrates a. And and we have Holden and Melba or Clarissa as our as our representative knights of the two extremes. Holden gets faced with an opportunity where he says, I'm worried about the Rosinante and Miller or this Miller construct says, yeah, you could probably go out and find out if they're okay. Maybe they're already dead, but if you don't go forward, you can't fix anything. And so he says, right. all right, I'll sacrifice all of the things that I care about in order to try and make things better for everybody else. And Melba 
is focused on getting her way, the way that it's the, her, her views, her outcomes, doggone it. She's going to make sure that he'll Holden pays. What a fascinating way of putting those two into place. Even though Holden is the reluctant ambassador of what humanity's best angels could be. And Melba looks like she probably at some point in time was considered the darling of society. And maybe he could have been, I don't know. Oh, so yeah. what did you think about the the adventure into the sphere? Did that make anybody did that did that draw similarities or parallels for anybody? Well, we, we read sphere and it was kind of <laughs> you know, it was kind of uh, like I, that. You know. and, and I have to admit, I was thinking not so much of the sphere moment, but rather of the end of 2001, a space yes. Odyssey where in Bowman fact, goes up to and touches the last of the monoliths and has this transcendental experience where he where he experiences basically everything and he yeah. becomes the star child and of course in that situation in the original 2001 he nukes the planet he causes the planet to go nuclear and in, then in 2010 we rewrite it in 2061 he rewrites it in 3001 he rewrites it again arthur c clark wonderful guy uh, never satisfied with his own outcomes and he keeps rewriting it but that <laughs> moment of daryl bowman becoming the star child and of understanding everything that fundamentally changes his perception of the human race. Holden has this very similar experience, but when he gets brought back, he doesn't stay the star child. He has to come back and be Holden and try and make some sense out of it. He's beholden. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think for me, that was one of the moments where I said, all right, this, and, and Ken, you had said when, in our discussion, this is going to be a good cliffhanger spot for us to end. And, and you're right, yeah. because, of course, immediately afterwards, we get the situation where the Martians come in and we got too many people there. So Miller has to disappear again. And, and, and Holden's five minutes away from figuring out what the whole thing is all about. He has to make sense of it himself. But getting a sense on a cosmic level that there's something bigger than the pro bigger and badder than the proto molecule and that all of this stuff was designed to stop it we well, yeah. can't have and 20 more books without something bigger and badder <laughs> <laughs> that's right i keep hitting, i mean usually in a trilogy that you're you've hit that moment where this is the big bad thing that that your heroes are going to fight and at the end of book 3 you kind of wrap it all up and i'm sitting here thinking there's what the ninth there's, book is coming out. Yeah, yes. yeah. There's six obviously more there has to be something bigger and badder than the proto molecule is going to happen. So I was surprised it kind of came. And I don't know. Maybe this isn't the biggest and baddest thing that comes out of it. Maybe this is the climax of book like six or something. And there's something worse after that. But I was surprised it, that it, it was in, introduced so early in book three. I guess. That it's not That's kind right. of more of the end of book three kind of cliffhanger getting into book four. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was kind of surprised at how quickly we got through the ring um, yeah. in this book. I expected it to happen somewhere toward the last uh, last third of the book. But with half of a book to go, maybe, maybe uh, book three is designed to cap off this trilogy and set up a larger narrative, which is typical of typical of the, the first three books. Uh, the Wheel of Time series, the first three books kind of set up the rest of the series. In the Dresden Files, the first three books kind of set up a larger universe. 
maybe this is the same thing here. We'll, we'll see in the next, uh, how many, I don't, we have 29 chapters left. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes of that. I'm anxious to see. We're running low on time. So rather than, rather than stretch that out, I want to ask if you have one prediction that we're going to learn in the next half of the book, what would it be? Ken, go first. I think that I, I, I feel like, well, I'm going to just make the bold prediction. It's probably completely wrong, but I think Holden is infused or at least um, has already been infused and realizes that he has, he has protomolecule powers of some kind inside of him already, or he's going to have by the end of the book and, and not, not become one of those, you know, mindless killing monsters, but it, it's going to be some way that he becomes like star child light you know, to use a 2001 reference again. And he becomes some sort of emissary uh, type, uh, okay. type character. I can back that prediction. Um, I, it's not really a prediction. It's more of just a hope, I guess, is I really want Anna to have a bigger purpose, whether it's just to be the sounding board of calmness behind everything that's going to happen or whether she actually has a bigger purpose politically for being chosen to be on this ship. I really like Anna and I want her storyline to mean more. So. Yeah, I can back that one too. I think I would like to see Anna be, if there is going to be somebody that has to sacrifice themselves in order to restart the sphere and make it work well, I'd love to see that be Anna. Because she's, we've had these indications that she's not going to be able to return home. She's been dealing with all of those kinds of struggles of humanity. I'd like to see her be that better voice. But the one, the the one prediction that I want to see is that the is when we go back and we see what caused the damage to all of the ships, that it was because the the sphere reached out and decided that none of those ships were allowed to approach any further. And that's what, because of what the Marines did, I think we're going to find out, as Miller said, a lot of people just died. I think what we're going to find out is that that was the interplay and that everybody's going to make the connection eventually and let Holden off the hook. That's We've got a lot of other things that uh, we need to go through, but we're out of time today. So hopefully you've enjoyed this with us. If you've got questions, send them out to us on Reddit. We'll get them there in the meantime. Or on Discord. Next time.